Hello and thanks for listening to this edition of the ACG Analytics podcast. This is Chris Zerwinski, the Director of International Policy at ACG Analytics. We're a public policy advisory firm based in Washington, D.C. We operate at the intersection of capital markets and public policy, helping to translate Washington, D.C. for investors. Today, we're going to talk about the C-band spectrum, the 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz band, the FCC's plan to auction a portion of this mid-band spectrum for 5G development, and the proceedings in impact on Intelsat. I'm joined today by John Neuer, an advisor to ACG Analytics and telecommunications policy expert. John was the Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Communications and Information and the Administrator of the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, NTIA, under President George W. Bush. Now, John, back when we first got into this trade at the end of 2018, the FCC was just getting started with its proceedings and its idea that they were going to hold an auction of this mid-band spectrum. There was a widespread belief that everything was going to move very quickly and that the C-band alliance, which consists of or consisted of Intelsat, Utelsat, SES, and Telesat, was going to largely get what it wanted. On these expectations, Intelsat's equity jumped was somewhere around the the high 20s. And now we're back down in the $3 range. What happened along the way? And why didn't you think this was as simple a proceedings as the market was expecting? Sure. Thanks, Chris. I first got exposure to the the C-Band Alliance proposal around this time last year. And like you said, the expectation was that this was a proceeding that was going to go quickly. The impetus behind clearing spectrum for 5G was such that the commission didn't really have a choice and the proceeding would move forward largely along the lines of what the CBA Alliance had proposed. Specifically, they'd be allowed to hold a private auction and manage the relocation of their spectrum band and manage who it was going to be sold to in what manner, basically without any oversight from the FCC or anyone else in government. My initial reaction was that that was unlikely to take place for a variety of reasons, primarily because it was an exceedingly complex proceeding that had opposition from significant market participants. There was really no one who was fully behind the CBA proposal. Some Some of the carriers seemed to be in favor of it. Other carriers were not. They were mostly concerned over the amount of spectrum that was going to be auctioned. If you recall, the original C-band proposal was for 100 megahertz to be auctioned. The cable carriers were opposed to it from two perspectives. They were opposed to it as a consumer of C-band spectrum and the, the, the fixed satellite services. They wanted to know how they'd be compensated, how they'd be relocated. They were against it in terms of how the spectrum was going to come to market. And I also felt that the with the amount of money at stake, that sooner or later, Congress was going to get involved involved and say, hold on a sec, you're talking about many billions of dollars, all of it going directly to these satellite companies and none of it being held for the government, which is the outcome of most spectrum auctions. So considering that, those are several very clear factors that lead to the slowing down of this proceedings. Why do you think that the market was mispricing this all along? Well, I think there was some degree of a self-reinforcing echo chamber. Now, the people that I would talk to all were talking to the same people in Washington. People would say, well, I talked to a single policymaker or I talked to the companies. And the point of laying out all of the complex opposition is you really need to understand how these regulatory agencies work, how they interact act with the Congress and with the administration and what their their broad incentives are. Based on my experience being around these agencies for, you know, 20 years, they very rarely come to a conclusion on a complex proceeding with lots and lots of opposition without first trying to drive towards some sort of consensus. 
where significant equities and market participants are not getting left out of a proceeding this important. And you know, part of the conventional theory around why the proceeding was going to go quickly was because mid-band spectrum was so important and 5G was so important. That conclusion is exactly right, but it's important to lots and lots of different market participants. And those market participants vehemently opposed to this proceeding were going to be heard. And, so and I think that's where we wound up. In that as you just said, considering the amount of stakeholders that are there and the wide array of different opinions on it, is the threat mainly that this would get locked up in litigation and therefore 5G development would be slowed in the United States, falling behind China? Well, that was that was also one of the, the, the long thesis components, right? That you can't do this without the CBA. And if the FCC tried to do it in some way that was counter to the CBA's proposal, that there'd be litigation and it would be delayed. I also thought that element was, while real, was over stated. There was some risk of litigation, but the, the downside of going to litigation was massive for the CBA alliance as well. These companies, Intelsat in particular, had a capital structure such that a large infusion of cash was very important. So it would not be a cost-free exercise for the CBA to walk away from the table. There was enough interest for everyone to get to a point, kind of where we are now, where there is money going to be made available for the CBA, more spectrum is going to be made available for 5G, the spectrum is going to come to market under the oversight of the FCC so the competitive balance can be assured and money will be made available for the government. We can talk about precisely how that money is going to be made available for the government, whether it is purely them taking the upside of the auction over and above what the CBA gets or whether they, they get more granules. So the process bogged down a little bit over many of the issues that you just said. The CBA was losing control and became clear that the process was a lot more complicated than they thought. Some of the things that happened along the way were that UTELSAT dropped out of the C-band alliance, decreasing the leverage of the alliance. They then proceeded to suggest a 50-50 split in auction revenues, which is contrary to what the C-band alliance had been pushing. And then Congress began to introduce legislation and more actively participate participate in the conversation. Some of this was Senator Kennedy from Louisiana, who made his voice very much heard. So now we can fast forward to where we are today. In November, FCC Chairman Pai announced that the auction would indeed be a public auction as opposed to the private auction, which was originally expected. And now the FCC announced that there would be $9.7 billion in acceleration payments to the C-Band Alliance to clear the spectrum, and that then there would be a further 3 to $5 billion in relocation costs that would go to these same satellite options. Operators. Some of what you've talked about has been Intelsat's reaction to the FCC's proceeding. And one of the things that we saw last week was that they hired a law firm to prepare for bankruptcy. You've talked a lot about the zone of insolvency, but maybe you can explain that to me a little bit better. You know, why is that important and how does that explain their actions last week? Right. Well, let me take one short step back. You're referencing Senator Kennedy. You're referencing the, the FCC the different pleadings by the, the C-Band Alliance and UTELSAT making different proposals. All of that I view as a public negotiation. Everybody understood that there probably is a breaking point for the CBA where if they got pushed too far, if you took the, the, the Kennedy proposal and said, you know what, they get nothing. The FCC has the authority to alter their licenses, just do it, and these guys get nothing. A nothing, even though it would be financially potentially ruinous for Intelsat, that would force them into litigation. They'd have no choice. The proposal that Pi has put forward, you know, that 9.75, I think that's another element of this public negotiation. But I suspect it is really more a public release of the kinds of negotiations that they were conducting with the CBA, trying to find what's the bottom number? What do we give? 
give you guys that allows you to stay at the table. Because while the, the litigation threat of the CBA, in my view, was largely overstated throughout most of this proceeding, like I said, there was a breaking point where bankruptcy would become an option. And the policymakers who have an interest in getting this proceeding done, getting 5G spectrum to market, they didn't want to see a bankruptcy take place. The point of the zone of insolvency, and this is a, a concept in corporate governance, under normal circumstances, the fiduciary responsibility of the board of directors is to the shareholder. However, when a company enters what they call the quote-unquote zone of insolvency, where there is a possibility of bankruptcy, the fiduciary responsibility of the board of directors shifts. It becomes a dual responsibility to both the bondholders and the equity holders. Under that scenario, I think that put pressure for the CBA to sort of call their cards on what's the breaking point. And it sounds like something close to 9.75 will be the number that the Intelsat board is going to have to look at and say, does this satisfy our secured bondholders? And if they, if they believe that, they have to take it and they can't break down from there. That's a long way of saying there was a lot of give and take behind the scenes a lot of give and take that had to be played out in public, like Pi's announcement, you know, a few days ago. And I think what we're what we collectively can take from that is we've sort of we're finding ground truth on what's the number that's going to keep them at the table. So then we are ending up with around that nine point seven billion dollars payment through the FCC's plan to the C Band Alliance. And of that forty five percent or so will go to Intelsat, which leaves us in that roughly four point five to five billion dollar range. I'm not asking you to make any type of financial analysis here, but where does that leave the company moving forward with respect to making secured bondholders whole and anything for the equity? So you're exactly right. I won't try and make a financial analysis because that's not my purview. But the reason I raised the zone of insolvency issue and the fact that it seems that Intelsat is on board with this proposal should give an indication that according to their own analysis, they think that this is a better outcome than pursuing bankruptcy. So people can form their own judgments around that, but that's how I interpret them staying at the table, given the responsibilities that the board has. So the FCC released the plan. We now know the details, as we just discussed. And they're supposed to vote on this at their meeting on February 28th. And they're expected to pass it, all things considered. Are you expecting a lot of noise between now and the 28th? That would most likely be coming from Congress. I know that, for example, Senator Kennedy has already said that, that the FCC's plan gives away too much to the CBA. Does this FCC order in the pending February 28th deadline catalyze? any type of action out of Congress? Because clearly the action, one can come before the 28th, obviously they're not going to pass a bill by then, but any type of legislation before the start of the auction in December can change the outlines of the deal. Sure. I, I fully expect Congress to take an action around this, but I don't think the action that Congress is going to take will fundamentally alter the economics proposed by the commission. The objective of the commission, which is shared by the Congress, is to make sure this goes forward. This has been a proceeding that's taken a long time already. It's had lots of controversy, but now that they seem to have settled down around the sort of consensus position, I don't think it's in Congress's interest to tip over the apple cart. That said, Congress has another incentive that's apart and separate from the FCC's. 
ensuring that money is raised for the Treasury. And in fact, not just specifically for the Treasury. They would rather not have whatever this auction revenue disappear into the federal budget. A rounding error in the federal budget. Yeah, I mean, this would be a, a nine-zero rounding error on a $4 trillion budget. Even multi-billion dollar numbers sort of disappear. They would like to see this money directed in some way. I think largely for rural broadband deployment specifically. You can note that in the President's State of the Union address, he raised rural broadband. This has been something that's been big on the Hill. And even in announcing the FCC's plan to go forward, Commissioner Pai said, look, I think I've done this in a way that if Congress wants to get involved, great, I welcome it. But I wasn't going to wait to do anything. And I think he has structured this in a way that Congress can come in and they can define what their share of the revenue is going to be and do that in a way that doesn't interfere with the commission's path to go forward. Let me explain that a little bit. If the auction went forward today, as articulated by the chairman, that auction could potentially close at $15 billion, 9.75 for the CBA, $4 billion, call it, for the relocation expenses, and the auction could close. If it closed, there'd be no revenue for the federal government. So people were talking about a 50-50 split. They were unhappy about the split. As it's currently designed as a, a simple matter of the math and the proposal that's in front of us, it could close with certainly much less than $10 billion going to the feds. So I would expect them to pass legislation that identifies a minimum amount of money for the federal government and reserves pretty much all of the upside for the federal government beyond that. So I think that can and will still happen, and there are vehicles through which they could do that. And so we've heard that in terms of congressional action, that leadership themselves have been discussing this issue. When they think about their timeline for passing some type of legislation that outlines exactly what you just said, they're looking at that mid-May, June range. Do you think that that's likely? I mean, I'm trying to think about how that happens, because it's either got to happen through a standalone piece of legislation, or it needs to be tacked on to some other bill, some other must-pass legislation, and there are a couple things coming up. There's FISA reauthorization in March. There's the temporary assistance for needy families, the uh, reauthorization in the middle of May, and there's also health extenders in May. And then if you don't do it by then, you come to the government funding in September. You're getting awfully close to this auction. Do you have an opinion as to how they're likely to move a piece of legislation? I wouldn't profess to predict precisely how, but what I will say is if you've got an agreement between Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, it happens. This Congress is good at doing nothing and doing the things that they collectively want to do. Because this one raises a bunch of money for pet projects of varying stripes, I have no real hesitancy to think that they'll figure out whether it's one of the bills that you listed. They've got a path. Believe me, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer are better at it than I am, but they'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, understood. Uh, and honestly, if you ask the White House about this issue and you ask them, are they happy with the FCC's current build? They say, yeah, we're happy that they finally moved, that we're going to move to 5G development. If you ask them, what if Congress you know, moves? They're like, yeah, go ahead. The parameters of the deal are outlined. They think the same exact thing that you do, that it's unlikely that the parameters of the deal move much, between now and then. Right. And so if Congress chooses to act, then they're completely fine with that, and they'll sign whatever legislation comes their way. Yeah, so a mild uh, political observation aside, but just going back to the State of the Union, the point is now that if Congress adopts this money for rural broadband, the president comes out and says, thank you, Congress, for doing precisely what I called for in the State of the Union, right? So every, everybody is aligned and has incentives to move this thing forward in a way that doesn't disrupt the entire process. And the fact of the matter is, with the current set aside of $14 billion as sort of the floor on the auction revenue, there's headroom above that that they can claim 
without running the risk of a failed auction. Either. Sure. So it just took two years to get to where we are now and a whole lot of headache. And in, in the grand scheme of things, two years is a pretty accelerated time frame. There are spectrum relocation proceedings that involve moving federal government spectrum that can take, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. The, the relocation of the over-the-air TV broadcast took, you know, well over a decade. So a two-year time frame is pretty accelerated. And given the CapEx cycles of the carriers and the where the carriers sit today, it, it takes them time to put new spectrum bands into CapEx plans and move stuff to market. So I don't think we are, the time that has been consumed is such that, you know, we're, we're falling behind China in 5G or whatever the expression of the One quarter is. doesn't change that. Exactly. So then as we conclude this, then I, I want to circle back and just say, are, are there any risks, anything with regards to Congress or the FCC that one, we're not paying attention to, that two, we haven't discussed in this talk? Sure. I think that cycles back to where we started. This time last year, when the conventional wisdom was, this is a locked, done deal, and it's going to move forward, our view was there are way too many risk profiles still associated with this. How much spectrum is going to get brought to market? Are the carriers really going to be going to accept that? Is Congress going to accept all of this money flowing directly to non-U.S. domiciled satellite companies? What do the incumbents think about their relocation? There was litigation risk in each of those elements. There was political risk in each of those elements. And what's gone on over the past 12 months is each of those elements have been de-risked. So I think where we sit now, the proceeding is more de-risked than it's been since it started. The likelihood that something that looks very much like what is before us today is what is going to conclude. Well, I want to thank you, John, for working with us on this issue here at ACG Analytics. And I want to thank everybody who's listening. We will be continuing to follow the issue closely as we approach the FCC meeting and in the intervening months to see how Congress reacts. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us with questions at research at acg-analytics.com and follow us on Twitter at ACG Analytics for daily insights into the political economy. We'll catch you on the next edition of the ACG Analytics podcast. Thank you. Thank you.